I think we just have to give ourselves permission to think differently about literacy. We've always had to view it as like a certain specific thing and it's kind of hard. It will be hard for some children. And um, we have to stretch to think of ways to do it. Um, and what we're really telling early childhood educators is what you need is right there in front of you. It's the child and their interests and their home and their family. Hello, and welcome to Voices from the Village, a podcast from the Wyoming Early Childhood Professional Learning Collaborative. We know it takes a village to raise a child, and Wyoming Early Childhood Educators, as an important part of that village, this podcast is for you. I'm Nikki Baldwin, your host at the University of Wyoming, and today I'm thrilled to introduce a good friend and colleague, Julie Estes. Julie is an early childhood educator and literacy expert who has worked in Wyoming for 30 years. Julie has worked with school districts as a preschool and kindergarten teacher, a literacy interventionist, and an instructional facilitator working with preschool teachers and coaching them on early literacy. She helped create a literacy program with her local Head Start that led to the creation of the Even Start Family Literacy Program, which she directed. Julie has led many other literacy initiatives in her community, and she loves children's books more than anyone I have ever met. Welcome to the podcast, Julie. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Um, Will you just tell us a little bit more about you? Um, I'm really curious. There's not a lot of literacy experts in our state. Um, so your your career has been really interesting of you, as you've gone down that path and focused on literacy. Will you just tell our listeners a little bit about you and how you ended up so passionate and involved in literacy for most of your career? Sure. Um, you know, I think that it it all started. Um, I the class that I took that that led me to um, education was actually children's literature. I was a business major, and I took that class and. Um, and it just opened up everything for me. Um, and, and from that point on, um, you know, I've kind of been obsessed with early literacy and children's books. But I think um, what, what really um, influenced me was at, when I graduated and I had my, um, my bachelor's degree, I went to work for Head Start. And at the same time, I was also a literacy volunteer with our local community college. And so I was working with adults who were learning to read um, or struggling with reading. So on one, you know, part of my day was with young children and families. The other part of my day, I was volunteering with adults. And um, and I just realized, you know, just how unbelievably important literacy is in our community. And when I would um, home visit, um, the homes that I was visiting didn't look just like the home I grew up in. And there weren't library books everywhere. And, and, um, and I realized too, that just the importance of having, um, having quality children's literature available to children and, and just how um, important that is for the, the outcome that we want in our society. We expect everyone to be literate, but we, um, you know, there, there's a lot of bumps along the way. And so I just wanted to be a part of, um, you know, creating those opportunities and smooth, smoother transitions for children so that when they, you know, when they were adults, they could, one, it was interesting, one of the things that, that, adults often want to learn to read um, is the Bible. Mm -hmm. If they haven't learned how to, how to read, that's one of the first things that some of them would say they wanted. So it was just fascinating to me to work with adults at the same time I was working with young children. And so, you know, I've been involved with um, that kind of work. Um, every opportunity that I had throughout my, you know, my 
career has been looking for those places where I could influence um, positively the, you know, literacy development. That's amazing. Um, I didn't know that about you. And I can't imagine how that broadened your perspective to see it from both sides. Thanks, Julie. I brought you here because I recently did a podcast interview uh, with a professor from Australia who's an early literacy expert. Her name is Pauline Harris. She's a researcher. She's been researching young children and literacy for years and years. And listeners, you should definitely listen into that podcast. Julie and I have listened to it again. And I really wanted to get the Wyoming perspective from the things that Pauline shared. So Julie, I just wanted to get started. Is there anything from her interview that what really stands out to you um, that we discussed there? And we can discuss it further. Well, uh, it will be hard to narrow this down. <laughs> um, I think one of the first things that really resonated with me was that she was talking about what does literacy look like? What do we count as literacy? Mm-hmm. And oftentimes, you know, from a school perspective, that can be really narrow. We expect literacy to look like knowing letters and sounds. We expect it to look like familiarity with a bo- holding a book and understanding the process of reading. And so I, I just, I loved that she, that she talked about that throughout her podcast. And I think I, I started thinking about my own experience in Wyoming and what, what it looks like here. And what are the the different kinds of literacies or ways of knowing that we see in children in Wyoming? And I don't want, I don't mean to be stereotypical, but I can share. But the first story that came to mind was I had a, a student that I was fortunate enough to have in my preschool classroom. And then I went to kindergarten too. So we, I had him for two years. You know, I, I truly believe that one of the foundational pieces of not just education, but literacy is the relationship. Mm-hmm. So that absolutely, I think, needs to come first. And so in my being intentional about creating a a strong relationship with this particular child, we talked often about trucks and (laughs) four-wheelers and all of these wonderful things that he had as part of his life. And it was usually on Mondays, I would try to remember to set aside a couple of minutes to talk to him because he no no doubt he would had had adventures over the weekend uh-huh. on the mountain or you know in the mud and i mean he had great stories to tell and so that became kind of our thing that's how we connected so i was very excited when i bought my first pickup you know later in life and i drove my pickup to school i parked it outside the window where i knew he could see and i was so excited to talk to him about it And we went to the window and I said, I want you to see my new truck. And it was a white Toyota Tundra. I thought it was very special. And he looked at it and he got this very serious look on his face. And he looked at me and he said, oh, Mrs. E, when you get that truck stuck on the mountain, I'll come up there with my half ton or not, not my half ton. I had a half ton, his three quarter ton truck. And he would pull me out. He said, I'll make sure you get home safe. I mean, he was just appalled that I would have bought this truck. So, um, so anyway, you know, I, when you think about all the things he knew, he knew the names of tools. He knew things about trucks that I don't know to this day. He understood the difference between a half ton and a three quarter ton and a one ton and what you would do with each of those. He could, he could tell you how you fix a four wheeler. And so when she was, when she was talking about things like, this is just one little connection, but when she talked about things like alphabet charts, 
if you put a picture of a Ford truck under F for this little guy, then he could, he could use that. Uh-huh. And you know, if you paired him up with another student that was really excited about trucks, I guarantee he could draw them. He could draw you an engine, but he mm-hmm. might not be able to write the words. You know, I, I just felt like he had, and he had a tremendous vocabulary. Uh-huh. So, you know, again, that's just, that's just one example, but that was one of the things that I, I really connected to when she was talking about it. I'm really glad you brought that up because I think it's just so easy for us to decide that things, children's knowledge doesn't count as, as the, as academic enough or the thing that we're looking for in particular with literacy. I think we do that all the time, but just, you know, just imagine the doors that can open listeners and for everybody else, if we just look really closely at what children know, and then we use, and we count that as a literacy. I do think that's going to be challenging for people to hear, you know, like, that's why I kept asking her, you keep saying literacy is plural. What do you mean? You know, like help us in Wyoming, see what you're talking about. Um, But you can see how that links directly to the reading and writing that will come next for him. I love that story. Of course, he was disappointed. (laughs) Your truck wasn't big enough. Oh, no. (laughs) Oh, funny. Yeah. So there's the idea of literacies plural in that way. She said a lot of other things too about children's homes mm-hmm. um, and their lives and the languages that they're learning. Anything else stand out to you? Oh, absolutely. As part of our Even Start program, we had an adult English as a second language class. Mm-hmm. So we enrolled families who were learning English and we had their children in our early childhood program. And so home visiting was wonderful. It was just, and I, and I don't, I don't mean any disrespect by this, but you know, we had teachers who had some of these, some of the older children in these families, you know, maybe second grader or a third grader. um, And they would come to me and say, you know, I really need you to encourage the family to read with them in English, talk with them in English. And I, I I would politely listen, but, you know, there was something about that that didn't quite seem like the right thing to do, you know, and and Uh at the time I wasn't really sure. I remember the first time this happened, I went to a home and they were Spanish speaking, a Spanish speaking family. Mm -hmm. And I walked through the door of their house and it was like walking into um, Mexico. There, Mm -hmm. there was music playing they had magazines and they, at the time there wasn't a lot of, um, not a lot of families had any kind of internet connection, but Mm -hmm. they had print. I mean, they had, um, they had a newspaper. I mean, there was a magazine that was a magazine. I can't even remember what it was now, but it was um, one I had only seen in English that was in their home. Mm -hmm. And when I saw that, I thought we are missing, we are missing this. You know, uh-huh. this is what they need. The ch- children need, they're, they're already developing literacy mm-hmm. in a rich um, way that is uh, meaningful and relevant to their family. And, uh-huh. you know, and so then that engagement is, is huge. So if, I, I don't know. So then I, after that, I really struggled with it. Well, cause you know, you want to give them books in Spanish to read and, and we did do that. And, but then even some of the families would say, no, we need to be reading in English because they had pressure from the school. And, and, you know, I would, I would just always encourage them to just continue to do some of the things that we were already doing that you would tell any, any other family, um, any English speaking family, you know, talk about 
what you did today. Talk about, um, talk about your family, share family stories with your children and you, and do it in your, in your language. And that's building all of this, you know, not to mention the relationship building. You know, I think that that's one of the things, um, you know, we always encourage them to continue to teach their children in, in whatever language they spoke at home, because that's that child's connection to their family, to their, especially the older members of the family. So I don't know, it, it, it was when she was talking, that's what I was thinking about is, and I loved those experiences and they would, I had a family that had photo albums of their children's education. So they had had older children who had gone to school in Mexico, and then they came here and had younger children that were in our program. But they they sat and went through a, um, a photo album with me where they had labeled all of these milestones and important things that had happened in their children's education. And, mm-hmm. oh, it was it was it was wonderful. I, I didn't ever go in with an agenda. I can tell you that. Uh-huh. That's amazing. There's two things I would love to dig into um, about that story and your insights. And I think the first is for us to just call out what we know now about children learning multiple languages. And Pauline made that really clear as well. And um, in her work in Australia, there are children learning multiple languages and probably even more so than what we have in our population in Wyoming. Um, But I think it's safe to say that we were wrong before. (laughs) And the evidence does not support the idea that you should disregard a child's home language. Uh, that Those were mistakes that were made by people who just didn't know, I'm sure, and they were well-intended. But we need to know as early childhood educators in Wyoming that, that that's not the case, that we wanna discourage use of the home language. We know now there's so much research that supports that children need rich experiences with all the languages that they're learning, but their home language is the most important yes. thing to support. We start there. Um, and you've had a lot of experience with that. Is there anything else that you just want to make sure people know and understand so that we can get this right with our youngest children in Wyoming? You know, I think um, with any child, I think what they bring from their from home needs to be celebrated. Mm-hmm. And so I think whether that's, um, you know, another language um, or other things that, you know, like we, like we were talking about other literacies, other, other things that are important to their family, but, and it isn't too hard to do, uh-huh. you know, that's what I think. Um, for example, I was looking at, um, I, the fall 2021 issue of young children that was about literacy, literacy. Uh-huh. And there's a, there's an article in there called listen to what we hear, but it's about developing li- listening centers. Mm-hmm. And what I loved about it is that that's exactly what it does. It, you know, they have family members who come in and do the recordings. So uh-huh. it might be that it's maybe it's a different language, but maybe it's just this is my favorite book that my grandma reads to me and she's going to read it so we all can hear it. Mm-hmm. And um, I won't go into all the details. Everyone probably should just look online and check that out. But we'll try to think- put a link to that in the we'll put yeah. the link to that in our notes. Yeah, we can do that. I I just think it's really, you know, it's really powerful when we do that and mm-hmm. we honor them and, and we, um, and it becomes this even, uh, you know, Dr. Harris was talking about engagement mm-hmm. and, and it even increases engagement when we, when we honor their family yeah. and that's, I mean, that's what they love most. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, I, I just, and I, I can think about 
maybe others have the same experience about listening centers that you kind of make them go to, to Uh listen to the same book over and over. And it, it just didn't always appear that that was something that children were really engaged in, in some cases. So I just think about, I, cause I imagine children, you know, like a child grabbing another friend and saying, come here, you have to come listen to my grandma, read this book, or my grandma saying this song or my mom, or, you know, can you just, I can just see them doing that. Yeah, that's beautiful. Um, And that is simple. These aren't, these aren't things. I think we just have to give ourselves permission to think differently about literacy. We've always had to view it as like a certain specific thing. And it's kind of hard. It will be hard for some children. And um, we have to stretch to think of ways to do it. Um, And what we're really telling early childhood educators is what you need is right there in front of you. It's the child and their interests and their home and their family. So the the other piece that I wanted to talk about is related to this, and that is the power of home visits. So, you know, if if there's someone listening out there who's uh, has a, has a family home childcare program of their own. So children are in their home all the time or someone in a, a busy center, you know, that has 12 children in their classroom in a preschool classroom. They might be hearing this and think, yeah, that's really nice that sometimes Head Start can do home visits or a kindergarten teacher that might think that's great that sometimes early childhood programs can do home visits, but that's not a thing that fits with our model. You know, what would you tell people about home visits and the power of that? And um, let's do some convincing of our audience that they should give it a try. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, um, I will tell you that after doing that for eight years and then going into a kindergarten classroom where I was teaching and I didn't have that connection to, uh-huh. to families in that way, it, it was like losing a limb. I, I really lost my way. I It was hard for me because I had always had that perspective, but it doesn't have to even be you know, a program like I was in where we home visited every month, it it can be even that. Well, and I can tell you why I think it's important even just to do one of them. If you do one at the beginning of the year and, and kind of get to know families, I think there's, there's a, there's so much that you get from it. First of all, it is absolutely, it's a relationship builder, Mm-hmm. especially well for the family, for you, between you and the family, but also between you and the child, because that child is so excited uh-huh. because, you know, this person who's going to be a really important person to them and this big milestone they have is coming to their house, which means more to them. You know, the space where they live is, mm-hmm. is so important to them. When I was going through this fall, I was going through um, looking at NACI classroom portfolios mm-hmm. and it was amazing that the preschool teachers that I work with, they actually do a home visit and you could see all of the things that they, that they wrote down just from that one visit and all of the ways that that could inform that relationship and the practice and everything just, just from that one visit. So I think it can be extremely meaningful, Mm -hmm. even if it's just, even if you just can do one of them. I would absolutely. Oh, you can contact me if you need more convincing, because I just think I just think it's such a wonderful, wonderful way to kind of bridge that home to school transition. I mean, one way I view it is if if we told teachers, listen, if you did this one thing, you could have enough ideas for curriculum for a year. Yes. Um, And it's not going on Teachers Pay Teachers or some website like would you do it? And I just think we would say yes, but the thing we're talking about is a home visit. Go learn about the child in their home. 
and it changes everything. And I've, I've heard before, and I can hear someone listening to this podcast, maybe saying, what if some families aren't comfortable about that? What if some families, you know, are worried that it's too intrusive? Or I'm just thinking about, you know, the, the naysayers about home visits. What would you say in response to that? You've done a lot of them. I have two in my career. Um, but what's your response to that concern? Well, I guess I would maybe, I, I don't think I would be insistent initially, but mm-hmm. I would, I would be intentional about um, creating a relationship with that family so that that could still happen. And I think this is where, you know, we kind of have to think outside the box. Maybe it isn't going to happen in the two week window that we originally set out that they all have, we all have to do a home visit, you know, before school starts. And, but what if we did one a month later and, you know, we, somebody covered the class where, and you could go, or, you know, just, I just think you have to think about it differently, but it can still happen. I think you can still have that meaningful relationship. Sometimes I have met with families, like maybe we'd gone to the park and I would have them, you know, bring a favorite toy or a favorite book or something from home and just to kind of ease into it. But I still think it's worth, it's worth doing, even if you have to, if even if it's not the first step. Sure. Yeah, I agree. And I was just thinking that um, I think the most important thing we have to remember is what it means to teach young children and how essential they're, it's, it's essential for all of us always, but in young children's growth and their brain development, it's essential that we connect our learning to their experiences. Mm-hmm. So this isn't a thing that we want to just do if we get around to it. This is a thing that has to be not necessarily just home visiting, but it has to be the center of how we approach teaching all young children is their family and their experiences. So we can't pretend that's not important. And families, I think I've never had an experience. I've had some families that it took a while to get to know. Yes. But I've never had a family that refused to, to let us connect to their home. And I think I can easily say I've been on hundreds, hundreds of home visits Um, with probably that many families over my career. And so I guess I would just say, I mean, I don't want to make this just about home visiting for everybody that's listening, but I think it's just something to consider. So if you haven't tried to do something like that before, maybe after this, you can like take note and it might be something you want to try sometime. Oh, absolutely. Yes, we can get off the home visit bandwagon, but we're both on it for sure. Listeners, if you didn't do that. Um, (laughs) But what else, what other pieces um, do you want to discuss that Pauline shared? Well, Another thing I I loved um, was that she talked about co-creating picture books. Oh yeah, with families, mm-hmm. and you know I I I just I love that, and you know I because I love children's books. Whenever I go into a classroom, I always that's always what I'm looking at is you know mm-hmm. what they have in their reading corner or their little classroom library, and you know I when when teachers get ready to put books out at the beginning of the year, we absolutely all are going to put our favorites in there. Uh-huh. Um, you know, and, and it's just like, I don't think it's, it's funny because I saw, I saw one in a picture of one in um, young children, I think. And, and it had some of the same books that everybody's going to put, you know, we are going to, there's going to be something by Eric Carl or there uh-huh. should be forevermore. And, you know, there's, there's always that, but I think, okay, but then what do we add once we know the, the children, then mm-hmm. how does that reflect their families? And right now, you know, we live in, in a time where we have access to some incredible children's books about every kind of family. 
but it's still not the same as um, the individual families in your in your classroom. So, um, so I love the idea of creating books together. I love it when you see that in a, in a library in a classroom where there's a family album or something that they created where um, everybody um, took a picture of a favorite activity that they do together on the weekends and you made a book out of it. And I think that can, that needs to be intentional, of course. And, but it's something that should be there right away. Because again, as children are creating those relationships with each other, that's what they're, that's what they want to do. You know, give me, I have to show you this picture of my four wheeler or, you know, or something, or making tortillas with my grandma or something. So, I mean, we've had, we've had some that were just wonderful. And, you know, you, you just, it just feels so good that those are the ones that are probably more so, you know, worn out at the end of the year than, than the rest of them, which is fine. That's what you want. But I loved that. I love that too. And, and I mean, you know, this too, you can simplify Like, I think that is, I think that's ideal. And that is definitely what we can do. Everybody can do that. You can make it even more simple. I mean, I, I remember in a toddler classroom, just having a picture of their friend with their name. And that was a class book that they could go access. And those toddlers were, never wanted to put that down. Yeah. Um, and so making homemade books is brilliant. It's a brilliant idea. Kids, it connects immediately to meaning for children because it's about those relationships and those pieces. Uh, any other helpful hints you have for ideas for, for programs that want to do some more homemade book kind of things? Well, yes. Here's something that, that I was thinking about too. I recently, I bought, imagine that I would buy a new children's book. Uh, <laughs> you guys, uh, Julie has more children's books than anyone I've ever <laughs> your possession. So you, if you need to, to uh, check any out, you should probably just start a lending number out of your home. Probably should. Absolutely. So I bought a book by Julie Flett and it's called We All Play. Mm -hmm. I was trying to find some books that supported imaginative play and creative play, um, but that were picture books. And so it's, it's absolutely wonderful. It has, it has animals in it. So animals hide, animals hop, animals sniff, animals sneak, and then they show children doing it. And she is, this is, I can't believe this because I didn't even get this when I bought it. I just loved it so much. I bought it. She is a Cree. She's from the Cree nation. And she had written another book that illustrated it that I absolutely loved called um, My Heart Fills with Happiness. And so we earlier this year when we were or last year, I guess it is now we were trying to find some really good children's books that supported indigenous cultures and, and it's not easy. So I, I bought these and I thought, you know, even if this doesn't represent your family or your, or your tribe, it's still could be a starting point. So you could rewrite that. You could take My Heart Fills with Happiness. That could be a classroom book. In this book, it has photos of dancers. And um, I think they have drumming in here, but it has a lot of other things too. And then it says, what fills your heart with happiness? So if you took that book as a starting point and you made a classroom book that reflected the culture's in your classroom, then it becomes very relevant to them. I think the same, I, I think someone needs to do, we all play and needs sure. to do a book um, of, you know, families playing together and what that looks like. That, that's 
just an idea, but you know, when you can't find exactly what you want, you just make one. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be perfect. Children just want to see representation of themselves in it. So, and everybody can take photos on their phones now. Like it's not like it used to be. So printing a picture um, and it it doesn't have to be perfect. And, you know, like I I love that. I love that idea. Um, When you are, will you talk a little bit about other things you look for when you're looking when you're in someone's classroom and you're checking out their library, what are some other things that make you really happy when you see them there in that space? Well, I think I, I like to see literacy reflected in, in other parts of the classroom. Oh, great. Yeah, let's talk about that. So the little friend I was talking about earlier, he imagine this. He didn't really like beautiful, lovely storybooks. He liked, (laughs) he liked books that were, you know, about real things, Mm -hmm. especially the things that he was interested in. So lots of nonfiction informational kinds of things. So I had a, I had a basket of books um, that he had kind of helped me choose. And we kept that where he could get at them, you know, and find them easily. So I'd like to see that when it's, you can tell that there's some intention behind putting books in different centers in case there might be children who only ever want to go to blocks, but maybe they'd like to look at a book about building with blocks. So I guess that would be something I look for and just lots of opportunities for, for reading and writing, Mm -hmm. but maybe in ways that seem relevant. So like, you know, having print in, in dramatic play, but maybe it's things that are created by the children. So maybe if they had a restaurant that the children had written, made a sign or, you know, together. So, so that it becomes important to them that it wasn't just, you didn't just put up pre-made things, but it involved collaboration, I guess. I like that. I I think let's dig into that a little bit more because that seems like an also like a helpful hint. That's pretty simple for teachers. Almost anything that you can buy from a teacher catalog to hang on your walls could be made collectively with you and the children together. So if you, you know, if you really want to do a traditional sort of calendar weather kind of thing in your day, it's going to be more meaningful if the children help you create it than if it's prepackaged and and hanging on the wall. Um, If you're going to talk about your daily schedule um, and you want to have your daily schedule hanging up, you can have one that looks nice and prepackaged from a catalog. Or the children can help you make it with photos of them actually and their writing, um, depending on the age. You know, it can even just be photos of them with your writing. But those are things that any teacher can do. And we sometimes need permission to think, oh, my classroom doesn't have to look like it came from a catalog. It can look like it came from the people in that space. You know? Yes. It's a really beautiful thing. Absolutely. Yeah. So you've been doing this a long time. And I was wondering, what, what are some of your biggest worries right now related to literacy and children and schools and what's happening there? All of the things that we've been talking about are part of having children because we're honoring them and what their and their interests. That's a very important piece of engagement, you know, and, and I think reading I mean, let's just be honest. Reading is hard. Reading, learning to read is not easy for a lot of children. And so if it, if we know that, if we know that over time, this is going to be something that, you know, there's going to be some, some challenges, then 
it needs to be relevant and it needs to be engaging. And the way that we know that is if we if we develop those relationships, if we know, if we, like you were saying in the podcast, the last podcast, if we bring it closer to the child. Mm-hmm. And I think that is important. It may, it, I, I understand it. It isn't going to look like that every minute of the day, but sure. the more we do that, then the more meaningful learning to read becomes and the more willing children are um, because there's a reason for it. Yeah. And, and I think one of the things my, my sister-in-law and I used to talk about this because she was, she was um, the director at adult basic education at the college here. That's the first thing you do with adults. When you're teaching an adult to read or improve their reading, you find out what, what is it that you most want to learn to read in order to do? Is it something with your job? Well, then that's what become that becomes your curriculum. Uh-huh. Is it something that whatever, do they want to read a book to their child? Then you use a children's book. So mm-hmm. I think in the same way, we, you know, we always talked about that's what it should look like for children. Yes. You know, fine. What, what is, they want to write their name. They want to write their, the names of the people they love the most. Yes. You know, they want to be able to communicate the things that they love to do. Mm-hmm. And, and so if you start with some of those things, the rest of it will come. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think it's, once again, I think we have to give ourselves permission to think about it differently. It doesn't, literacy doesn't count more if it's on a worksheet. <laughs> you know, I mean, I think sometimes we feel like, well, that feels really schooly. So that's, if I'm doing prep for school, that's what we should do. Um, but what we know is that children, especially children that are learning a second language or children that the culture of what's happening in the school is very different from their culture at home. Um, they're going to even the, the odds are stacked against them more if we try to do this super traditional approach to literacy. So rather than thinking, oh, they're going to need extra help, we should do a lot of more skills practice that's removed from meaning or context. What we should think is everything we do when we want to teach those children should be connected to their lives and meaning and context because that gives them a greater chance for success. So I do think that's something really important for us to think about. And I guess I want to just toss in there when we're talking about it, Julie, is that there's opportunities that just happen regularly. You talked about in the space itself with that kids play, have um, literature all around, have books everywhere and have opportunities for them to draw and write all around in that space. But also there's just parts of the routines of their day that just happen every day. You're going to have a snack, uh, you're going to arrive, you're going to leave and you're probably going to go outside and they're just things built into the routine And we can embed literacy into all of those moments for children too. And it's pretty simple. It doesn't have to be very hard. Signing in for things or um, writing down what your plan is of where you want to go play or some of those things. Any thoughts about other ways we can just sort of embed literacy naturally into their day? Those are great examples. The other thing, and this this is easy and it works especially well for, for children well, children who are English speakers and also children who speak other languages is that we want to bring in real things into the setting. Mm. So when we do that, that can, that can be print, but it could also just be um, items that they, that they have at home that they want to share. So Mm -hmm. then from a language perspective, then they have more opportunity to talk about that. So Mm -hmm. then that increases their, their language. And, and then, um, you know, we can have them, we can always have them 
lots of opportunities for drawing and writing for children if they get frustrated because, you know, like if they're doing a play plan, for example, mm -hmm. um, they may not be able to write out yet what it is that they want to go if they want to go play, um, you know, in dramatic play or something, but mm -hmm. they could draw a picture of it. And you can start to scaffold those things. So again, I think even whenever you start with, with those things that are meaningful to them, then you can build on that. And, and then, you know, and they move into literacy. It can be pretty natural, you know, to, to scaffold that. We used to do play plans and I, I kept some of them and, you know, it would start out with just a scribble and then it would go to a picture. And then pretty soon they were starting to write and their friends would do it with them. And so, you know, I think that um, the more authentic we make it, the more valuable it is. And then they, they, they respond. It's, it's just, I think it's pretty miraculous when you watch it happen. Yeah. It's amazing. <clears throat> and that, that was making me think about journals, the idea of journals mm -hmm. and Julie, um, Julie participated in the development team for our new Wyoming early learning standards. And in there, we have an example of a teacher that just uses journals as a pretty frequent part of children's experience in her classroom, at least weekly, maybe for some children, it's more. But that's, a, that's also a really easy win, journals. So do you have any experience with journals or advice for anyone about how you could introduce those in a classroom? Oh, sure. I think, again, I think sometimes you have to, you might want to start with something. Maybe you start with a photo. Uh -huh. you know, maybe they're, they um, want to take a picture of something that they built. In, uh -huh. in the classroom and you put that in there. So that's where you start that way. If they can't write all that out yet, mm -hmm. it can still be something that on this day, this was really meaningful to me. And I built this, this great big tower. And then you start to talk to them about some of the letters and the sounds in, in the words that they, um, that go with that picture. And uh -huh. so it can kind of evolve. I, I think it has to be I think sometimes it takes a little bit of a little bit of um, scaffolding before you can get to um, because you want it to be meaningful. You don't want them to not put their thoughts in into their journal when they're starting out because you don't want it to to be too hard to feel too hard. So, you know, if you give them, you know, allow them to do that initially and then they start to do more drawing and then they start to do more writing and it it just needs to have a little bit more than a blank page. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate that. I think, you know, we have to go back to the purpose, right? Why do adults write in journals? Yeah. It's usually because there's something that happened that we want to remember and reflect on. So we can go to that with children. We don't have to just start a blank page. Um, if something really special happened, I love the idea of starting with photos. I love that. And then, at, yeah, as they mature, then they may start doing some, some drawing, you know, that will come first. And then you might be writing a lot of what they say. And eventually it really is that beautiful thing that happens where they start to add it. And they might write the first letter of a word that they know that letter now, and then you finish the rest of it for them. And um, it's just this lovely collaborative partnership of exploring the power of symbols on a page to represent a child's ideas. You know, it's really beautiful. Well, and, and I think too, um, not that, I mean, you, you might do this some of the time, you know, if something really huge happens mm -hmm. that day, then everybody might write about it. But I think you have to kind of be open to that. Maybe somebody didn't really like the fire truck, <laughs> uh -huh. you know, when the fireman came and they had a different experience. And so maybe they don't really want to write, write about that today. So I think, <laughs> you know, make a journal to me needs to be something that wouldn't look the same for every child. 
Yes. And, and like you said, you know, you want to have somebody transcribe so that, you know, they could then share it with a family member and it could be read back. And then that reinforces, like you said, oh my gosh, we wrote these words and that's exactly what I said. And I, we can read it back. And, but I, I think that, um, I know that that's not always something you can do every single day. And I don't think you have to, um, but just reinforcing that it, it's, it's their thoughts and feelings. Mm -hmm. And once again, it's something you can experiment with. It's okay to try it out. Yeah. and see how it goes. And um, it doesn't have to be a wholesale change to everything you're doing in your classroom, just like a little something new that you could try to add. Yeah. Um, one other thing, Julie, and then I hate this, but we're gonna have to end this at some point, but I, I think I wanna talk about the importance of storytelling um, mm -hmm. for children and uh, acting out stories and those things. Um, can you just, you know, from your experience, anything you would wanna, advice you'd wanna give related to encouraging those things in a classroom? You know, I think that can just be so much fun for children. Mm -hmm. And I think starting with, you know, if you, if you haven't done it before, then starting with those stories that they know mm -hmm. that they can, you know, they've almost memorized. Um, like, I, I don't know, the one that, that I've seen in lots of classrooms is the three Billy Goats gruff. Uh-huh you know, and they loved that. And I think if you, if you start there, then if you, as your children become comfortable with that, I think then you can start looking at other kinds of stories. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe they, maybe they're going to act out something that happened on the playground or mm -hmm. something, you know, that they did with their family. I, it, I would love for it to be so common in a classroom that it wasn't just from books, although I do love yeah. that, but you know, what, how else can, because I, I do think that we're going to have to be um, more intentional about preserving stories. Mm -hmm. from yeah. And we have so many tools now. Technology gives us a lot of tools for this yeah. piece. And that's really, really nice too. Yeah, absolutely. Great. Well, Julie, um, I hate to have to say goodbye here, but as we're leaving, I just wondered, um, you know, you spent a lot of time working with early childhood teachers in Wyoming. Is there anything else you would just really want them to know about young children and literacy that, that could be really helpful to them if they're feeling maybe a little unsure or feeling maybe a little burned out or, you know, what, what advice would you want to leave them before we're done today? Uh, I personally, uh, when I, when I was doing lesson plans or curriculum, um, whenever I felt stuck mm -hmm. or kind of bored with, with whatever, it, whatever subject or topic I was, I was looking at, I would go looking for children's books. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I think that can always be a starting point. There are so many that are wonderful and engaging and so it's such a wonderful tool. And if you, if it just becomes a part of everything you do, then not only are you reinforcing math or science, but you're reinforcing reading and creating potentially a love of literacy for children, which we know helps them to be more successful when they're learning to read. I love that. Thank you. And a final question we ask all of our guests, because this is a podcast about professional learning, um, is, and it's just about learning in general. I know that you are constantly learning because we get to share that stuff sometimes with each other. Will you 
tell us something you learned recently that's interesting to you. It doesn't have to be about literacy or teaching. It could be anything. So I recently started reading um, the book Braiding Sweetgrass. Oh. And it's um, by Robin Wall Kimmer. And it's about um, the connection between indigenous cultures and plants. So as I was reading it, there are so many amazing rich stories about how everything came to be in their cultures and, and just how important plants are to them. And it just got me thinking of, you know, like what that would look like if it was a children's book. So yeah, I, so I'm going to, I'm going to finish that. And then I'm going to start looking into, you know, if there are things like that, that we could share with children. Amazing. Yeah. Um, Listeners, I want you to know too that Julie, um, we use her expertise to help us develop out some of the content from the WIEC PLC website. So um, there's a ton of resources there that Julie has had a hand in developing for all of you. You should definitely go and check that out at the website. Well, thank you so much, Julie. This has been amazing today. I love to talk to you. I'm so glad that our early childhood educators can have a shot of some of your wisdom today. Thank you listeners also for joining us on Voices from the Village. This podcast is funded by the Federal Preschool Development Grant, and it's produced by the University of Wyoming. Special thanks to our producer and director, Bryce Tugwell. Thanks a lot.